My name is Chad. I have the privilege of being one of the young adult pastors. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you grab it? Find the book of Luke. Uh, Luke is going to be in the New Testament if you're new to the Bible. And we are so glad that you made the choice to be with us tonight. Just like Paxton said, you guys look awesome. It's going to be a great Thanksgiving week, and we are so excited about how we're going to be finishing up uh, this series tonight. Uh, Luke 17 is where we're going to be at tonight. Uh, Luke, if you're new to the Bible, he, he's a, actually a doctor who... Uh, uh, witness the life and uh, the death and the, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And he just wanted to write a, an eyewitness account of the facts. And so we're going to look at uh, some of the things that he wrote down. But before we get there, I want to share with you uh, a story about uh, something that happened in my family earlier this year. And so um, in January, I had the opportunity to go up to Alaska and do some ministry up there. And so it was a great opportunity to go and, uh, and to preach alongside of this church. And while I was there, my wife began to call, you know, and she was saying, hey, uh, one of our kiddos, Elizabeth, she, she's five, uh, she's been complaining about her foot being hurt. And, and I was like, well, well, let's FaceTime and let me see what's going on uh, with her foot. And so, I, you know, we, we get on the screen and I'm looking at her foot and, and I don't see any symptoms. And, and some of you, this is you here tonight. If you don't see any symptoms, you don't give any sympathy, right? And so, you know, you're just like, suck it up, get back in the game, you're going to be okay, you know? And so, um, anyway, I didn't see any swelling, no redness, and I'm just like, hey, she is pulling your leg, Chelsea, she is trying to just work you over while I'm out of town, don't give in, and she's like, well, she's crying as she goes to sleep at night, I don't care, you know, you got to be strong, you know, that sort of thing. No symptoms, no sympathy. Well, a few days of this persisted, and she kept kind of off and on saying, hey, my foot hurts, my foot hurts, and... And so finally, my wife, she gave in because she's like holding the fort down, three kids, and I'm out of town, you know. And so she says, all right, we're going to go to the, the emergency center, emergency uh, room. And so they go up there, come to find out Elizabeth has like this bone infection in her foot, and there are no symptoms, but they do this blood work, and, uh, and so she gets admitted into Children's Mercy. And so she's there for like four or five days, and so I come home, and, um, and you can see her here. This is her in her hospital room, and she looks pretty sad, pathetic, right? And that's how I got Father of the Year Award. Um, <laughs> Anyway, and so um, I share that with you tonight because her symptoms and her sickness is very similar to uh, what a lot of you may be carrying here tonight. That there's a lot of you here tonight and you have something going on underneath the surface. And maybe from time to time you've been saying, hey, I'm in pain, I'm in pain. But there's people in your life and they're like, hey, if I don't see any symptoms, I'm not giving you any sympathy, Right? And they come alongside of you and they give you the metaphorical slap in the rear end and they say, get back in the game. And they say, you know, get over it. Really? You know, you're so full of drama. And what happens is they come alongside of you and give you all these cliche things and you're like constantly, you know, the ebb and flow, like I need help. I'm, there's something underneath the surface. And no one maybe ever takes you seriously or the, result, the response that you get just makes you run into secrecy but eventually it's gonna come out. And, and maybe some of you have even been hospitalized because you have had this thing that I'm talking about and the thing that I'm talking about is anxiety. And a lot of us here in the room tonight, we know all about anxiety. It's this familiar foe in our life, right? And listen, they're, they're, uh, they're saying, this is what people are saying, this is what researchers are saying. I mean, according to the World Health Organization, that America is the most anxious country in the world. That, that you, I mean, you know this to be true, right? There's several of you that you 
have a lost sleep this month because you've been like, it's, it's coming into finals for the semester. If you're back from college, we'll pray for you. You know, or it's, you're like in the crunch time of your relationship with him or with her. Or as you're kind of running your numbers for the, for the 2018 year and you're figuring out how much money you don't have and how are you going to make it. Or some of you, man, you, you made some decisions and you brought some things into your life and you got caught and now you have a DUI or a DWI or whatever it is and, and now you've got to pay the, the price for your decisions and it's brought this stress in your life. Or, or some of you, like Thursday, it's just got you freaked out, right? Like the obligatory Thanksgiving dinner with your family that you love, right? <laughs> And you're already starting to like get anxious about what's going to happen on the day of thanks. And we all know about anxiety in our culture. And so tonight we're finishing up this series. It's been a really fun series and a great series to uh, be able to address some things in our culture that the church you know, sometimes shies away from. And so last week, uh, Josiah did such a great job answering the question, can a Christian be gay? And so if you're just now joining us in this series, man, go to the podcast, check out YouTube, uh, track with us. We answered a lot of really, really relevant questions and we looked into God's word to begin to see what he has to say in regards to these issues. And so tonight as we finish, as we land the plane in this series, Ask Me Anything, we're asking the question, what do I do with my anxiety? Isn't that a great question? What do I do with my anxiety? Because again, anxiety is something that we all know about. And so tonight I wanna point you to two particular things. I want you to see a serious sickness in regards to anxiety. And then I wanna point you to two sustainable solutions in response to your anxiety. And so Luke chapter 17 is where we're going to be at tonight. And uh, what's happening in the gospel narrative of Luke is that we've been tracking with Jesus for the majority of his ministry. And it's coming to the tail end of his ministry. And Luke's been, you know, getting eyewitness accounts. And he's been putting together all of the facts. And so we've seen Jesus do, do a lot of amazing things in the gospel of Luke. And, uh, and so he's like rock star status. I mean, he has healed people. He speaks as one with authority. I mean, people are, are they're crazy about Jesus. They love him. And they, I mean, he's living in this kind of weird, obscure place in the Roman Empire, but he's having a profound impact. And what Luke is telling us, and he uses this phrase that not, uh, none of the other gospel writers use. They say that, excuse me, Luke says that Jesus has set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. And so we pick up in Luke 17, starting in verse 11, and it says this. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. So again, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, and what he is headed to Jerusalem to do, if you know anything about church, he's headed there to be crucified at, at Golgotha. He's, the, he's headed there to die on a cross. And so like, this is like his mission that he has been sent to accomplish. And so if anybody, like if that was your mission in life, I mean, he has like the blinders up and he is headed to Jerusalem. But in order to get there, he's got to pass through Samaria and Galilee. In verse 12, it says this, Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, let's just stop right there. Now, I love this because Jesus is headed to Jerusalem to die on a cross, right? Like, I mean, he has got a mission to accomplish. And, and for, for a lot of us, like if we had a mission to accomplish that was the salvation of the world, we ain't got time for interruptions, but not Jesus. 
this is just kind of a sidebar. This is for free. Listen, ministry is defined by interruptions. And so listen, you've got to be able to be interrupted, but you also have to be willing to interrupt someone. Ministry is defined by interruptions. And so we see this in Jesus' life right here. The principle is that Jesus is not so busy that he can't make time for people. He's not so focused on getting there and getting that thing that he can't see the people that need him along the way. And so my challenge to you, like, don't get uh, dazed and confused in the holiday haze that you miss out on divine opportunities that God has placed in your pathway. It's not wrong to go shop on Friday, all right? That's not a wrong thing, but you need to begin to see the people around you. And I know you got a mission to get that computer or get that dress or get that gift, but don't lose sight of an interruption that may be an opportunity for you to impact someone's world. And then maybe you might have to go and interrupt someone. And we see this in Jesus' ministry as well, that he's not too timid to interrupt someone. Ministry is defined by interruptions. But we get back in the text in verse 14, it says, so when he saw them, this is what Jesus said to them, hey, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that they, so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. If you're taking notes tonight, I want you to write this down. A serious sickness, a serious sickness. Now, this was like a huge deal, right? Like these guys, these 10 guys, they, they were um, living life like in the slums, okay? If you had leprosy back in the day, people didn't know what to do with you. Now, leprosy today, it's a curable disease, uh, but back in the day, people were freaked out by leprosy. And so here's what they did. By law, they ostracized them to the outskirts of the community. We find this in Leviticus 13. This is an Old Testament book, a lot of laws in there. And here's what it says in regards to the lepers. It says in Leviticus 13, 45, now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn. So you gotta tear your clothes. His head bare, you gotta shave your head, and you shall cover his mustache. I don't know why. Maybe mustaches are creepy when you're a leper. I'm not real sure, okay? All right, my wife would want me to, if she don't like mustache. Anyway, so you've gotta cover your mustache, and then you, here's what you gotta do. When you see somebody, you ain't gotta be like, hey, what's up? You, go, you gotta say, unclean, unclean. And basically, he's saying that you've gotta go, warning, warning. So you have to cry out unclean, unclean, verse 46. And he shall be unclean all the days that he has the sores. He shall be unclean. He is unclean. The word is unclean. We get it, okay. And he shall dwell alone, and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. And so if you had leprosy back in the day, this was your lot in life. Leprosy, it's a terrible disease that's, that's formed by this bacteria that's kind of slow moving inside of your system, it can be cured, but back in the day it couldn't. And what happens is that you begin to become comfortably numb to certain things, so much so that you maybe injure your finger and then you lose a finger because you can't feel the injury. That eventually leprosy, it will cause you to lose your sight and it devastates the quality of your life. It literally, back in the day, if you had leprosy, you just had to resolve to manage this disease. Maybe you're asking, Chad, why are you spending so much time on leprosy? Because leprosy in this story, I think, can communicate something that is equally devastating in our day that you maybe are being gripped by, and it's anxiety. It's a serious sickness that anxiety, like leprosy, it's slow growing, is it not? 
Like you don't just wake up just like gripped by anxiety, right? It's just a little stress here, a little stress here, a little stress here, a little stress here. And then they said this, and I really want this, and I didn't get this, and now I'm worried, and then I don't know if I'm going to lose this, and it's and just kind of slow moving. And what happens is when anxiety moves in and it begins to set in your life, you begin to get numb to certain things in life. And then you try to numb your anxiety by numbing it with other things. And you begin to lose sight on what God wants to do in your life. And so often, anxiety leads you to a place where you just want to be alone. And so anxiety, I think, is a great correlation to leprosy. But where does anxiety come from, right? Like there, I don't think there's one simple source in which we can trace back anxiety to. It's really this cocktail of chaos that comes into our life, right? And so I don't know that, that, that it could be a combination. Maybe you could resonate with this one. Uh, we'll just start with materialism. Materialism. Most of us, um, we don't know that we're materialistic. But newsflash, we're Americans, okay? Most of us. And if you're an American, more than likely, you've got materialism in your bag, okay? It's just part of what we do. But it's not a great thing of what we are. Uh, one expert, he was a materialism, he is an, a materialism expert, his name is Tim Kasser, and he says this, that, that people who made money and possessions a priority generally experienced more unpleasant emotions, a greater incidence of physical ailments, such as headaches and stomach aches, and less satisfaction with their lives. That maybe the reason why you have so much anxiety is that you think that something is going to satisfy you. Like, and we, we fall into this trap all the time, right? Like if I get those shoes, you know, if I get those shoes, like those throwback Reeboks that just hit the mark, if I get those, right? Or if I get that jacket, if I get that new one that's just everyone wants, or if, if I get that bag, if I get something from Coach for Christmas, hallelujah, I'm about to, 2019, better look out, right? You know, and you start thinking, if I get that car, if I get that phone, if I get that thing. And so we are a part of a billion-dollar industry called Black Friday and Cyber Monday, some of y'all are already ready, right? You just, you're ready for the Cyber Monday deal, right? And so we will spend over $11 billion this year in two days. And so we think, we are literally believing this idea that, that something is going to satisfy us, but it won't. And maybe the source of your anxiety is that you think that something this side of the sun is going to satisfy you. Listen, it will not 1 John 2 says it like this, that the world and its desires, they're going to pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. What are you living for that matters forever? Because in 100 years, all that's going to matter is not your stilettos, it's not your whip, it's what you did for Jesus. Maybe it's not materialism, maybe for you it's, it's materialism's kissing cousin, and that's entitlement, right? So you think, well, the more stuff I have, the more stuff I deserve, right? And so, man, we are so entitled, and it's not just our generation, it's just it's kind of the Western way. And so we believe that people owe us certain things. There was a PhD that wrote an article in the Psychological Bulletin named Joshua Grubbs, and he said this, that entitlement creates a constant vulnerability to unmet expectations. I love that. Because you think certain people should act a certain way around you and that they owe you a certain amount of attention or whatever it is. And so you're constantly being vulnerable to unmet expectations. And then unmet expectations then lead to dissatisfaction and other volatile emotions like anxiety, like anger. And so some of you are getting so socially anxious Maybe about the late night tonight, but about Thanksgiving dinner on Thursday because you think that your brother owes you something. 
and you are in tight, you have this struggle, you think that they, does, and so you get socially anxious, you can't be around that person, and I'm just making you nervous even just talking about Thanksgiving, so I, you wish I would stop, you know, all this stuff. And so what happens is that this cocktail of chaos begins to intoxicate us with anxiety. Or maybe it's that you're listening to your lizard brain. Your lizard brain, you know you have a lizard brain? Your lizard brain, that's, a, that's kind of a nickname for the limbic, the limbic system in your head. It's, it's the most, one of the most basic parts of your brain. It's called the lizard brain because basically that's all a lizard has to work with, all right? And, and so this nickname that's, that's the lizard brain, it, it, you can think of it like this. It's like your personal freak out zone, okay? Some of you are like, man, you got a big lizard brain. You know, you're always just stressing me out. You stress me out, right? You don't look at them, but blink at me if you're standing next to them or sitting next to them, right? Now, um, it, does, it does help that you have this lizard brain, this part of your brain. And it controls a lot of the involuntary things that you do, like breathing or making your heart beat. And it can save your life when you're faced with real danger, like a bear attack or something. But your lizard brain is activated way too often in our society. Let me explain. It's the part of your brain where excess worry and fear and anxiety come from. This is your lizard brain. And what happens is that you listen to your lizard brain. And your lizard brain is constantly shouting at you, you're not going to make it. Or, or you need that drink. Or, or you need that woman. Or that man. Or, or you're not enough. Or you're going to run out of money. Or you don't have what it takes. And so often we listen to our lizard brain and we get into this cycle of worry. And if you could espouse for me tonight your worries and your fears, we could maybe pinpoint your deepest idols in life. Because when you show me your worries and your fears, I can typically show you your idols. That it's often the source of our worry. It's something that's in our life that becomes so important that we begin to obsess over that thing. And, and if I have that thing, then I'll be whole. Or if I lose that thing, I'll be destroyed. I wonder, what's the source of your worry? What's the source of your fear? Is it a, uh, a fear of your career advancement or lack thereof? Is it a fear of staying single for the rest of your life? Is it a fear of of, of not being liked or a fear of missing out or not making the grade or losing your job or not even being able to afford to finish school. And listen, if you're listening to your fears, let me preach a little bit that the word of God has something for you tonight. That John, the God that was there when he saw his, his best friend be crucified on the cross, he said it like this, that there is no fear in love, but perfect love, the type of love that dies for you, that dies for those sins of the world. It casts out fear that fear and love cannot coexist. And so we need to proclaim and reclaim the promises of God over our worries and over our anxieties tonight. And the moment you begin to question whether or not God loves you is the moment that you invite fear. And listen, you may be putting more faith in your worry, more faith in your fear than you are in the finished work of Jesus on the cross that demonstrated while you were yet a sinner, a worrier, filled with anxiety, a lust-filled pervert, he died for you to demonstrate his love for you. And that love has been demonstrated in time, in history. It's not some ethereal ideal. We look back through the lens of history and we see it taking place. And that is the demonstration of his love for 
for you. So you punch your fear or you kick your worry in the teeth because there's a God that loves you. And the perfect love that he demonstrated on the cross, it, it casts out fear. And this anxiety, it's like modern day leprosy, man. It makes us numb to the promises of God. It makes us blind to the, to the amazing things that he has done. And it devastates our quality of life. Listen, some of y'all need to hear this tonight. God is for you. God is for you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. If God be for you, who could be against you? In my Bible, I read in Romans 8, 28, that he's working all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. And listen, if you are called according to his purposes and you've declared Jesus as your Lord, it may not be good in your life. But if it ain't good yet, then it ain't done yet. And God is working some things together in your life. But so often we equate hope with happiness, right? And we think everything's got to be hunky-dory in our life in order for us to have hope. But sometimes you still hurt in the midst of hope. And sometimes anxiety, it grips your life. I remember when I was 16, this was the first time in my life I really would say like I could pinpoint like this, you know, anxiety is an invisible thing that, that we feel. I don't know if y'all know what I'm talking about. But I remember when I was 16, I felt it like I was gripped by this worry and by this fear and by this anxiety. Like we weren't going to make it. Because my mom, she comes to me and she says, hey, you're, it was this time of the year. Your dad is in jail. We're dependent upon his paycheck to pay our rent. It looks like we're not going to have a Christmas. It looks like we're going to have to sell our house. And it looks like everything that we know as stable is unraveling. And so I remember in that moment, like God had already begun to work in my life. And, and I remember thinking, oh my goodness, mom, you're working three jobs. You are, you're hustling. Dad's in jail. And I'm working for $5.15 an hour at Cavender's Boot City, right? <laughs> Holla at your boy, making that cheese, right? It's shredded. Anyway, and so I come in and I put my paycheck down on my mama's nightstand because she was working nights. And we did everything that we could do. People gave us money, but it wasn't enough. And we lost everything. And I had a decision to make in that season of anxiety. How am I going to respond when life gets lifey? And I remember this person giving me these memory verses. Don't you love Christians that do that? Hey, you didn't memorize this? You know, it's going to help. And you're like, give me that sheet. I need some money, man. I don't need no Bible verse, you know. <laughs> and so I took that sheet and I, I looked at it. And, and the second verse was this, Matthew 6, and 34. And in the pit and in the dark despair of my anxiety, this is what God spoke to me. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry. Worry? God, I'm worried. Don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. You sure, God? How are we going to make it? Don't worry about tomorrow, Chad's what he told me before. Tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
And God's word met me. This is, the, this is the first time where God's word became alive to me. You know that God has a book that he's written, and his word is alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And he wants you to access his word and begin to apply it into your life. And he can mediate your situation. He won't deliver you from your despair, but he has promised to deliver you through your despair. That you need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Don't worry about those things that you've been worried about. And I don't want to oversimplify this, but listen, I do want to be clear that anxiety, it's a sin. Anxiety grieves the heart of God. He tells us, don't worry about it. And anxiety is one of the greatest strategies of the enemy to distract you from your destiny. And so Satan, like he will allow you to get stressed out, to get you so divided so that you'll miss out on the mission that God has called you to live. And so here's what happens. You know, I think that we all, I think we all like know that we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? Like if you're a believer in Christ, you probably have heard that scripture before. Like I get it, Chad, I'm supposed to seek God. I'm supposed to seek God. And, and, and really, to be honest with you, I think that our enemy, I don't know if you know that we have an enemy, the adversary, he's like a lion seeking whom he may devour. He's roaring, he's lying to you. Listen to your lizard brain and you need to be afraid and all that kind of stuff. And, and he, and, but I think that he's really okay with us believing in God. I just think what happens is he's like, hey, yeah, you go ahead and spend time with God, but you need to also worry about what you're going to be wearing. And then once you figure out what you're going to be wearing, you've got to figure out, well, what sort of things are you going to be uh, doing for your career? And so when you go to college, you know, you've got to declare a major, right? And so, yeah, you spend time with God, but go ahead, and you've got to figure out a major, and then you've got to figure out, should you do the internship this summer? And if you do the internship this summer, does that mean you're going to get a job? Should you graduate early? If you graduate early, are you really going to be able to get paid as much? And so you got to figure out, well, maybe I should go to grad school, and then you really don't know if you go to grad school is they had to open up more opportunities to put you in more debt. And your dad said, look, I'm tired of paying for your stuff. And so you get out of that, and then, but you went ahead and graduate. And then you come to Paradigm, and you're like, I need some significant relationships in my life. And so should I go to open community group? Should I uh, go to close community group? Should I go to, you know, serve on a Tuesday night? Should I buy a sweatshirt tonight? And then you're trying to figure out, should I go once I get out on the real world? And I, once I get my own place, should I move in with some people? Should I rent? Should I buy? Should I shop at Nebraska Furniture? Should I shop at West Bottoms on First Friday? And then you meet a pretty, pretty girl when you come to Paradigm and you're like, oh, <laughs> is she the one? And you start asking that question, is she the one? And you think, well, I got to start going on some dates now, and then we got to go get some coffee. We've got to have some intentional conversations, and then people are telling me what I need to do. And then what happens is that you finally get engaged, and engagement's a stressful thing, is it not? You got to hire a photographer, you got to spend all that money. But then once you get engaged, then comes the marriage, and you got to plan the wedding, and there's all these invitations, and there's all these people that you really don't want to invite, but you hope that they come so they give you money. And then once you get married, you got to start thinking about your children, and you got to start thinking about all the these things, then what happens is that you get stressed out about all these things, and somewhere along the way, you didn't intentionally quit spending time with God, but somewhere along the way, it just became something that you just didn't do. And so what happened is that we thought that our job was to corral all of these things and then control them. But we confused some things, paradigm. We've confused stewardship with sovereignty. We've confused responsibility with control. 
And so we think that, that we're supposed to control all of these things. Listen, we don't need to get rid of these things. All right, marriage is good, relationships are good, houses are good, education's good. It's all good, but it can be a distraction, especially when you think that your job is to control all of these things. And God is saying you weren't meant to control these things. You were called to be a steward over these things. And so what happens is we start getting stressed out about all this, right? And then this sneaky, insidious thing begins to creep up in our life and it's called anxiety. And the Christian life is to be marked by an absence of anxiety. Not necessarily an absence of things, but an absence of anxiety. And again, let me be clear, anxiety is never godly. There's never a situation in which you are obligated to worry about it. I was talking with a young adult this week and she just shared with me some things that she struggled with and anxiety is one of those. And uh, you know, it's, it's hard when you're hearing a message like this at times because you're like, man, what do you know about my problems? And you begin to get defensive because it's, it, is, it is a complicated issue. You can't just pinpoint it. And so she began to share some things that she had learned and I thought it would be very helpful tonight and it's rooted out of this verse in 1 Peter 5, um, verse six and seven and here's what it says and she connected some things that I had never seen and I wanna share them with you. It says, therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, I love that, that he may exalt you in due time and here's verse seven, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. So we love verse seven but, but verse six is critical for us to understand the power of verse seven. And so she said, hey, you've got to notice that there's a connection between your humility and your liberty or freedom from anxiety. And so she said, Chad, could you see that the letter that is in the middle of pride and the, and the letter that's in the middle of anxiety, it's the same letter. And it's the letter I. And when she said that I began to see that that there's somehow this deep, rooted, connected, woven together connection between my pride and my anxiety, I begin to fight in a new way. That I've, I've got to trust that God cares for me, that he can handle what I'm going through and I've gotta put it into his hands because he ultimately is the one that is sovereign. He ultimately is the one that is in control. And listen, some of you, you are here tonight and you've trusted Christ with your eternity and praise God, but you don't trust him with your temporary. Peter says his hand is mighty. Trust him with that in which you are most anxious about. His hands are strong. They are wondrous. They are mighty to save and they are mighty to sustain. And so cast your cares upon him. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. Cast your cares upon him. And that's what we see is happening in this story in Luke 17. And so I wanna draw your attention back to, to verse 13. Here's what they did. They, they literally reached out to Jesus and they cried out. They lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And I love this because they begin to cry out. They didn't pretend like they had it all together, right? You can't hide leprosy like you can anxiety but both are just as detrimental. And they begin to cry out. And so some of you, you've been hiding your anxiety for far too long because you fear that you're gonna get judged. Man, this is a safe place to come out of your hiding. 
And let me be clear, there's an indirect correlation between your healing and your hiding. The more you come out of hiding, the greater you will be healed. The more you stay in hiding, the less you will be healed. Sin becomes light to carry with the light of God and community. There's an indirect correlation between your healing and your hiding. So it's just like my daughter who I shared with you a few minutes ago. You know, she, she uh, has been crying, crying, you know, daddy, daddy, my foot hurts. Mommy, mom, my foot hurts. And she keeps crying. And we're like, shut up, you know, your foot doesn't hurt, you know. And, and uh, anyway, eventually, yes, it was, there was a deep infection. And she continued to cry out. And because she continued to cry out, she got help. Some of you, you've tried crying out and you got some sort of stiff answer like I gave my daughter. There's no symptoms, no sympathy. Get over it. But I'm entreating you once again to come out of your hiding because there's help for you. Jesus wants to be the one that heals you. He wants to be the one that you cry out to, not Jack Daniels, not Christian Gray, not Black Friday. Jesus wants to be the one that you cry out to. He wants to be your savior. He wants to be your cleanser. And so these men, they cry out to Jesus, and he doesn't say, get out of here, man. Y'all are hopeless. Get over your leprosy. No, this is what he says. Verse 14, so when he saw them, he said to them, hey, go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Notice that they begin to do what Jesus said to do, like they put their faith in motion. And then the healing came. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he would say like this, that faith without works is dead. And there's a lot of you here tonight that you want God to deliver you from something, but you don't want to do anything. There's a lot of you here tonight that you want a miracle from God, but you don't want to set anything into motion. That you've got all the intention and all the belief in Jesus in here, but you don't want to set it to your feet down here and do something. And we see that the healing came with these lepers when they begin to pursue the place in which Jesus pointed them to. So maybe tonight you need to go by the Next Steps desk. Maybe you need to join a community group or sign up for that. Maybe you need to begin to set some things in motion in your faith so that God God, the God of wonders, the God of healing, would begin to move mightily on your behalf. And so if we see that they were cleansed, the, this word cleansed in the Greek is the word katharizo, in which we get our word catharsis. And it's, a, it's an emotional release. It, it's purified, that they were made better. And so Jesus, for these 10 men, like he, he helped them out a lot. He changed their life. But we find out in verse 15, and one of them when he saw that he was healed, he returned. You could circle that word, returned. And then with a loud voice, glorify God. You could circle that phrase, loud voice, glorify God. I love this because this guy, he realized that he was healed, and then he goes back to Jesus, and he does some very interesting things. And so point number two, I want to tell you about a sustainable solution tonight. Now listen, I don't, I'm not opposed to a catalyst in your life. Maybe you need to go see a professional if you have anxiety. I'm not a professional doctor. I cannot prescribe you anything. Maybe you need to get a prescription. Here's what I would encourage you to do is to pray over your prescription because God is the God of common grace that gave us those chemicals, but that's not a sustainable solution for the majority of you. Or maybe you need to go see a counselor that can begin to ask probing questions so that you can identify a source of the stress that's causing anxiety in your life. But I want to point you to two things that this one particular man did that I believe can be a sustainable solution, a life of freedom from anxiety. 
a life of liberty, not a life of living on the outskirts and hiding with a lifelong sentence of some sin that is gripping you, but a sustainable solution. The first thing that we see is that he had a loud voice and he glorified God. I I love this because I've got a loud voice and some of you have a loud voice. You were just born loud, right? And so this word loud voice in the Greek, it's the Greek word loud is mega and voice is phone, all right? It's that brother got a mega phone voice, right? And he comes back and like, dude, that dude is so loud. And what he is so loud and so proud about is not the chiefs, I know I just made anxiety and some of y'all just well up thinking about last night, right? Yeah, if you don't know about anxiety, just rerun last night, okay? It was, it was a nail biter, okay? I'm going to have to go see a professional help. I'm just kidding. I shouldn't kid around. Anyway, so like, mega voice and he is glorifying God. That word in the Greek glorifies the word doxology. It's this idea that he is praising God loudly, undignified. He is raising his voice. And all throughout scripture, we find this solution to our struggle, to our stress, is to sing. It's so weird. Like in Psalm 13, it says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? The brother's in a dark place. And his conclusion in the psalm is, I will sing to the Lord (laughs) because he has dealt bountifully with me. That there's something special about when we come together and sing. Time Magazine, they released an article, and here's what they said. Group singing has been scientifically proven to lower stress, relieve anxiety, and to elevate endorphins. That when we come here and we gather and we sing week in and week out, God is doing something inside of your brain. He's allowing you to connect with one another, connect with God, and he is, he is uh, taking down your stress, and he is increasing the endorphins that you need to have happiness and well-being. You're not here to come and perform. You get to walk in, and these people do such a great job week in and week out to set the stage so that you can declare your praise loudly to God, and God does something special. One of the men that leads us in singing regularly at Abundant Life is a good friend of mine. We're a community together. His name's David Greer. And he's led from time to time on Tuesday nights, so some of you may know him. Well, last, this past year, David, um, he walked through a really dark time in his life with anxiety. And I asked him if I could share his story, and he said, oh, yeah, by all means. And so he said this. He said, I would tell someone in my position the position of, like, he was so anxious that he was going to vomit on stage when he came out here. Like so gripped, I mean for months, gripped by anxiety. Pray for me, pray for me. He knows the promises of God. He knows all the answers, but he's just, he can't get out of it. And he says, I would tell anybody that's in my position, first of all, not to feel inadequate or shameful because they are experiencing anxiety. The power of what Satan is trying to do with the anxiety is only fueled by secrecy when we, uh, uh, excuse me, the secrecy that we use because of our embarrassment. So talk to someone. You need to begin the pursuit of rooting your identity in Christ, believing that he didn't make a mistake when he made you the way that he did. He said that anxiety in and of itself isn't really anything. It's just a symptom of of things like fear or not measuring up or shame. So when we're quiet, we're trying to live up to the expectations that we feel others have for us. And then the anxiety mounts up until the point that it collapses in. And this is what happened to me. He went on, he said, stop trying to be the things that you feel others are telling you to be and begin the process of discovering what God created and intended you to be. That is the beginning of freedom. And he says, and then begin to identify the lies, the triggers that you're believing. 
and you identify those lies that you've been telling yourself and feasting on for your entire life and then begin the process of replacing those lies with the truth of what God says you are. And he referenced 2 Corinthians 10. It's not gonna be on the screen, but I wanted to share it with you. It says this, 2 Corinthians 10, three through five, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds like anxiety, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing, here's the key, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So a couple of years ago, I moved up here from Louisiana, and we had a rat infestation in my office. I'm talking like Louisiana neutral rat, big rat infestation, okay? Not little cute things that you want to cuddle with, all right? I'm talking big old barn rats you could ride, all right? And we were in, we were in student ministry, and we had all this candy, and we would find like random like shavings of candy wrappers like in corners, like these rats, I'm kidding, I, I would, I'm not kidding y'all, I would love to have done a video like watching them, like they like unscrewing lids, getting candy out, and then and they're probably playing poker in the middle of the night. Uh, you, know, I, you know, I'll raise you three Kit Kats for a Snickers, that sort of thing. And, and so here's what we did. We hired pest control, and they put all those boxes that we really don't know what they do outside of the building, you know, like what's in there, I don't know. Anyway, they didn't do anything, so here's what I did. I went down to the hardware store. It's called Tubs, and they have stuffed alligators in their hardware store, kid you not, and they sell king cake. If you don't know what that is, God bless you, ask Josiah. Anyway, and so you go to Tubs, and you buy these giant traps, right, like the big ones, okay, the ones you could surf on, like skateboard on, okay, and so you take those, and then you put some peanut butter on those traps, and then you lay them out, and then snap, you get a wrap, and then you get the little, I got one of those, like, trash picker-upper things, and I pick that rat up, and I throw it away, and I put another one out, and snap, get a rat, snap, get a rat, snap, get a rat, until eventually we got rid of the rats in the place. Some of you are like, Chad, why, why are you telling me that? See, here's the point. If you're going to beat your anxiety, you're going to have to make a decision to put out a lot of little traps and get ready to battle the rats in your life, the lies. And you're going to have to take your anxiety captive. What if I don't meet this quota this year? What if I don't pass this test? What if I don't get in? What if I don't measure up? What if they don't like me? And you've got to set the rat trap and you've got to kill one lie after another on the way to liberty. And one of the greatest rat traps that you set in your life is a loud song. That David, when, he, when, he was, when I was talking with David Greer, the guy that leads worship for us, he said that singing played a huge role in his sustainable liberty. And he would sing two types of songs. He would sing songs of identity. I am who you say I am. I am loved. I am chosen. I am not forsaken. I am forgiven. And he would sing songs declaring the promises of God that he wasn't presently experiencing, knowing that God was going to bring back joy in his life. And so what promise of God do you know that you need to raise your voice and sing so that you can take those thoughts captive? Well, we see another thing that, these lep- that, excuse me, that this particular leper did here in verse 16, and it says this, that he fell down on his face, and at his feet he gave him thanks, or giving him thanks. That's the key there. You could circle that, giving him thanks. It says, and he was a Samaritan. There's kind of a you know, racial reference in there just to prove some things. We don't have time for that. And so if you want a sustainable solution to your anxiety, the second thing that you're going to need to do is to give thanks. He gave thanks. Let me give you a definition of gratitude. Gratitude is to show that a kindness received is valued. 
This is why I like at birthday parties with my kids, you know, when they, like, if they get a gift, we're about to get some gifts from my Lydia, she's about to turn seven, and when she opens up that gift, I will, before she can open up another gift, I will make her say, thank you. Go to them, give them a hug, and tell them thank you. Because what that does, I'm trying to teach her that the gift is not complete until gratitude has been expressed. Because listen, the opposite is true. If you fail to give thanks, you are subtly rejecting the giver. And when we fail to give thanks to God, we are subtly rejecting God. Gratitude, it closes the loop, it completes the gift. And so this week, don't let gratitude just be something that you intend to give to God or to other people but that you would give out thanks and you would be marked by thanksgiving that we've got to express gratitude because unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. And we need to become people who return back to the source of our cleansing and raise with a loud voice praise and doxology and fall on our face and give thanks and complete the gift. Because when we live a life marked by gratitude, it helps us to focus on the things that we have instead of grumbling about the things that we don't have. And maybe you're here and you're like me and for most of your life you didn't have an appreciation for showing appreciation. Well, you're robbing yourself of life. Let me explain, Harvard Research, they found this, that gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improve their health, deal with adversity and build strong relationships. Alex Korb, a PhD, said that he found that higher levels of gratitude were associated with better sleep and lower anxiety and depression. Listen, let me, let me sum it up. Gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for life. That if you want life and life abundantly, give thanks. Or is your life marked by thanksgiving? What if you had today the things that you thanked God for yesterday? What would you have? Would you have him? Would you have her? Would you have that thing? Listen, it's Thanksgiving week. Thursday's the day. Turkey day. What if you were the one in your family that you, you went to the table and said, hey, why don't, while we're eating, why don't we tell the thing that we're most grateful for that happened this year? And I want to finish just by pointing you to what happened in this man's life that came back and he sang to Jesus and he gave thanks. And so we see in verse 17, Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this guy? And notice what he says in verse 19. And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Circle that word well. In the Greek, this word is sozo. Sozo. The other nine, they had experienced karizo, but one who came back, he experienced sozo. Sozo means to be made whole. It's the most common word in the New Testament to refer to salvation. That this man, he gave praise and he gave thanks to Jesus, and Jesus said, your faith has literally saved you. This is why the Bible says, those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Those who call upon the name of the Lord and give thanks to God will be made whole. 
And some of you, you see Jesus as a catharsis, as someone to, to give you some therapy to help you get down the road a little bit further in life. And you have all kinds of intentions on giving him thanks, but you haven't fallen on your face before him and said, oh, thank you, God, for what you've done in my life. And if you have failed to give thanks to Jesus for his salvation and him changing your life, th then you may not have experienced salvation because it's decisions, not intentions, that determine our destination. What are you thankful for? See, at the end of the day, you can tell a lot about a person's life by what they're grateful for. Because um, what you appreciate exposes what you love. And what you love exposes what you live for or what you worship. Do you have an appreciation for all that God has given you in Christ Jesus? You know that salvation begins with thanksgiving. Salvation is you recognizing what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. It's believing in your heart that Jesus is who he said he is and that he did what he said he did. And then it's giving him thanks and following him. Salvation begins in that moment when you're saying to God, thank you, God, for saving me. I was lost. I was living on the outskirts of society I was numb. I was blind. I couldn't see. But I cried out to you, have mercy on me. And I deserve death because of my sin. I deserve to be an outcast because I'm unclean. And you sent me and you cleansed me. And I've come home to tell you, thank you, God, for saving me. Is that your experience? Because listen, giving thanks recognizes the greatness of the giver and failing to do so is a subtle form of rejection. God is for you. Have you told him thank you? If you haven't, you're in a sense rejecting him. And why not embrace him tonight? And so here's what I want everybody to do. Go ahead and stand up to your feet. And we're going to sing a song that we started the night off with tonight. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to bust right into this song. And this song just basically says it's, it's, it's grateful. And we're saying, hey, God, we are thankful for what you've done. And so we're going to sing tonight in a declaration of God's goodness, and, and we're going to give him a declaration of thanks. And then I'm going to come up here and point you to a couple of things before we have a good time tonight. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for my friends coming here tonight, and I pray that you would help us to not confuse responsibility with control. God, I pray for the man or the woman that's so gripped by anxiety. God, that you would help them to cast their cares upon you because you care for them. And God, I pray that as we raise our voices and as we sing this declaration, that we are grateful for all that you've done. God, that you would help us to draw to mind specific things. And if there's someone here that has not trusted you as Lord and Savior and hasn't experienced sozo and being made whole, God, I pray that they would cry out to you for mercy. They would see you dying on a cross and raising from the grave, and they would step into a right relationship with you. In Christ's name I pray.